Good morning, church. Hey, if you would, grab your Bibles, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. As you're going there, I want to introduce you to a couple of dear friends of mine. This is Dr. Ann Von Thron, and this is Joe, or I call, still call him Joe Joe Von Thron. And um, as part of the Church of 1122, we will commission and send out 13 or 14, it kind of tends to keep growing, several mission trips to all around the world this next year. But then there are some people that are part of the Church of 1122, and um, they understand that the command to go, it's a command, and it's not a program at our church. And so um, Dr. Ann and Jojo are going to Honduras uh, for several days on a medical mission trip, and, and we're going to commission them and also praise God that this is a kingdom effort, whether it's a part, like whether it's Church 1122 or not, we don't care, right? It's just about Jesus, and so that's what we're here to celebrate. And so um, they'll go and do medical missions in Honduras, uh, and then they'll also spend time in an orphanage, and they will also spend time in a safe house where girls who have been rescued from human trafficking, uh, where it's a place that they are restored. And so as a part of their family, and, and really as a part of my family. I love these people like crazy. Dr. Ann, she went to Georgia, and Joe, uh, she, he, uh, he's a Florida fan, but he applied to go to Georgia, so the Spirit's working in him too. And so we know that God's moving in these people. But, but uh, uh, as a family, uh, church family, we need to be in prayer for them uh, while they are on the go in Honduras, and that God would use them um, immeasurably more than they ever thought or imagined. So in good old Church of 1122 uh, style, would you reach your hands forward as if you're placing your hands on this mama and her son, and let's pray to your Father in heaven. Lord, what a beautiful, beautiful picture uh, of a mom that just loves you and surrendered to you and her big old strapping 18-year-old young man's son that he would go on mission with his mama. To Honduras, Lord, that's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And God, we thank you for that picture this day. And God, um, as they go, Lord, we uh, reclaim your promise that you said that as we go, you will always be with us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be in them, that your spirit would dwell in them, and that, God, you would work through them. And God, we thank you that you have been in Honduras for a lot longer than, than the Von Throns, God, that, that you go before them to do good work. And Lord, I thank you for, we're not, for what you're going to do, not only through them, but in them and to them. And so Lord, I pray that they would, um, that they would do kingdom-minded things in Honduras, God, that many, many, many would come to know Jesus because of this mama and her son uh, through your gospel, God. And I pray that you would bring them home safe. Uh, Lord, and, and that the stories that they had, God, the things that you allowed them to be a part of would stir in us, uh, would stir in us an obedience to do what you have commanded us to do. And we pray this in the good, strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. And let's give my hand one more time. <laughs> Proud of you guys. <clears throat> All right, Acts chapter 10. I hope that you are there. Um, one of the things that I think is, is awesome about this church, and I, I love to watch, I love to watch the baptism videos because I did that wedding, Brian and Jenny's wedding, and, and uh, I didn't know that they were just using me to, you know, <laughs> get married. But, but now um, they're all in. I mean, they're fully involved. They love Jesus, and they're in a disciple group, and they're on mission. All the things, you know, it's awesome. And what I love is that people, people, it, it kind of doesn't matter how you get here. You know, some of you even today are like the Von Thrones and they're coming to get commissioned to go on a mission trip. Uh, some of you here are just eager to hear the word of God 
preached, and some of you are here to just join together and sing, and some of you are here on accident, all right? You, you got duped in, you got tricked in, it's the only way she would go out with you again, so you had to come to church with her, or, you know, it's the only way your dad will pay for your free lunch if you eat, if you come to church, whatever it is, it really doesn't matter, or some of you grew up in church, and then you, you left for a while, and now you're having kids, and you're going, uh-oh, we got to go back to church, so it really doesn't matter how you get here the good news is, is that God meets us right where we are, and if you're here, he's not through with you yet. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be in this brand new series called A Rebel's Guide to Obedience, because all of us have a bit of a rebellious spirit in us. And when you hear the word rebel, don't think good. We're thinking, we're talking about rebel as bad, not rebel like get your motor running, throw in a leather jacket, ride a motorcycle, okay, that obviously praises Jesus, but... We're talking about that rebellious spirit that likes to snub our nose against authority, even when that authority knows more than us and loves us and wants something good for us, that we just have this rebellious spirit. And every parent of a two or three-year-old just said, amen, preach it, brother, right? When you tell your kid, you better not, and it's the first thing that they want to do. We all have that rebellious spirit in us. And you see, here's the thing about rebellion. Rebellion, it feels like freedom. It always ends in bondage. Rebellion always feels like freedom, but it always leads to bondage. And the truth is, some of you are in bondage right now because of something that you thought was, was an expression of your freedom back then. Because I can promise you this, anybody that is in the bondage of addiction, you thought it was fun and free to begin with. And it just it put you on a path that led somewhere, and now you feel like you're in chains well, the good news is, is that Christ is here to set you free. And so what we're going to talk about for the next four weeks is how, as a bunch of people with a rebellious heart, how do we submit and walk in obedience to an almighty and loving God? Well, I'll explain it this way. Um, I want to tell you about my dogs. They're dead now, but uh, we had two boxers. Bought them about 12 years ago. Last week, I talked to you about greyhounds. So we're learning a lot from dogs right now. Never learned anything about gator, but I've learned a lot from dogs. And so... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I pointed out last year how ugly greyhounds, I mean, last week how ugly greyhounds are, and I still got emails and stuff, but I'm telling you, they're ugly, but everybody knows that boxers are beautiful. I mean, it's just clearly evident uh, as you look at them. And so about 12 years ago, I, I bought a boxer. I really wanted an English bulldog, but they were too expensive, so I got the poor man's English bulldog. I got the boxer, all right? So I get a boxer. His name was Samson, nice biblical name, and uh, he was good and regal and smart and pretty obedient. You know, he's a good dog. We loved him. And, um, and it was like pre-kids too, so you know how people without kids treat their dogs. And so that was us. And, uh, and then the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone, so we got a girl dog to go along with him. And she was a poor influence on Samson. That's how that worked. <laughs> and she was not very bright or intelligent, but she was really, really cute, and we loved her too. And um, <clears throat> when we just had Samson, we could leave him out in the house to run around and do whatever he wanted to do. He was okay, but... Uh, but, but Sadie, the girl dog, again, bad influence, which is the story of a lot of guys in the room. But uh, one day, we leave uh, our apartment. We lived in an apartment when we first moved here. And so Sadie and Samson were free to roam around our apartment. Well, we go out, and when we get back, Sadie had initiated and, and, and lured Samson into some depravity. And the two of them get on the couch, and they start chewing up the cushions, and they chew through all of the material on the cushion and get to the good stuff underneath, the foamy stuff, right? And so they chewed it up to the point where it looked like it snowed in our living room. 
So when we walked in, it literally, it looked like there were snow flurries in our apartment. The place is covered in little white specks of, of couch cushion. And Samson, the older dog, the male, he knew he was in trouble, so he ran to the back. He's like, oh, my fault, I'm sorry. And then Sadie, clueless, was just like, hey, look what we did. Ta-da, right? And so you know while they're chewing up the cushion, it feels like freedom. They're like, man, we can do whatever we want. And it led to bondage. It led to the crate. So we went and we got a crate. And then any time we left the house, the dogs had to go in the crate. And the people at PetSmart or wherever we got it, they said, all you've got to do is you put the dogs in the crate. Every time you put them in the crate, just say crate. And they'll learn that word. They'll learn to love it. It'll mean security. You say crate and they'll run in. Well, the people at PetSmart are liars and the truth is not in them. Because we said crate and our dogs ran under the bed. And then I don't know if you've ever tried to catch two boxers in an apartment. It's difficult. All right. So that was our lives for a while. And then we figured out that the dogs hate the crate, but they love cheese more than they hate the crate. And so we get a piece of cheese and we go to the dogs and say, hey, dogs, we got some cheese. And they'd lose their mind. They would think, what manner of love is this that the father would lavish upon us cheese? And so we would get the cheese and throw it into the crate and the dogs would dive in there and just eat the cheese, cheese. Oh, praise God, cheese. And then we'd shut the gate and they'd turn around and be like, dang it, gate. All right. And every single time I think, what a dumb dog. You go for the cheese every single time. And yet, and yet, there's so often when our spiritual enemy, the devil, he just dangles that cheese of rebellion in front of us. And it feels like freedom. It feels like you can't tell me what to do. I'm not listening. Who do you think you are, world, or God, or Bible, or Jesus, or Holy Spirit, or whoever, mom, dad, teacher, coach, whatever, who do you think you are to tell me? I know what I'm going to do. And we think, we think this is freedom. And really, it's just rebellion that leads to bondage. And the other thing that, that we typically do too, we, we tend to think, well, if I don't agree with it, it doesn't apply to me, right? If I don't agree with it, it doesn't apply to me. Well, I know the Bible says that, but I don't agree with that. So that verse doesn't mean that anymore. Okay, I deal with this every day of my life. Not so much with the Bible, but this, I've got a dumb stop sign in my neighborhood. Anybody know of dumb stop signs, right? I pull up to that thing every day and go, this is a dumb stop sign. It's a four-way stop. I can see the cul-de-sac down this way. And if you turn right, you just end up right back here. I should not have to stop. So in rebellion, what do I do every day? Freedom and drive right through it, baby. You hold me down. And that's going to be awesome until one day, you know, if there's a cop there, then what happens, right? Bondage, a ticket. There's some of you today, and you are not walking in the freedom that Christ has purchased for you. But you, you, you're walking in rebellion, and I'm guaranteeing you, it, it, you're either in the bondage now, or you're on the path that leads to it. And the Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the way to experience that freedom is in obedience. So for the next four weeks, we are talking about a rebel's guide to obedience. C.S. Lewis says it this way, Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. So that's what we'll focus on for the next four weeks. So Acts chapter 10, we're going to look at this guy named Cornelius and his obedience to God. Acts chapter 10, verse 1. 
At, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. That means that he was a soldier and he was the boss of a cohort. It's about 100 soldiers, which also means that he had a lot of money. He's a wealthy guy. Verse 2, he's a devout man who feared God with all his household, and he gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed continually to God. So this is a good guy. He's like going to kind of church, and he appreciates God, but he doesn't know the gospel yet. Verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly, underline those words, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. Verse 4, and he stared at him in terror. So when he sees this angel of the Lord, the feeling that he is filled with is that of fear or terror. So I don't know if you've studied much about angels in the Bible, but apparently they're not just hot chicks in their underwear, okay? Because every time they show up on the scene, uh, everybody freaks out and they're afraid. Nor are they little chubby babies with bows and arrows that will celebrate Thursday. Neither of our pictures of angels are accurate. Apparently these are, um, you know, messenger warriors from a supernatural realm. And every time they show up, everybody's freaking out. They're terrified and they're afraid. And, and uh, you know, they have to calm down a little bit. So he stares at him in terror, and he said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, this is the angel, it says, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa. Look how clear the instructions are. And now send men to Joppa to bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. I want you to see here that God is not a God of confusion, that God sends a very specific message to Cornelius. He goes, all right, so you don't have to go yourself. I want you to send men, and I want you to go to Joppa. All right, you don't have to wander around and do a Facebook search for this guy. He's in Joppa. And uh, when you get there, you're going to look for Simon, also known as Peter. So he gives him his name and his nickname, right, his alias. He's like, uh, some people know him as Rocky. That's what Peter in Greek means. And so I want you to go look for him. And he's at another dude named Simon's house, but that Simon is a tanner. All right, he's not a tax collector, he's not an architect, right? he's not a web designer, he's a tanner, and he doesn't live by the mountains, he lives by the sea. So you got it? Very, very specific and clear directions. Verse 7, and when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, so he explained it to them just as he, he got it from God. All right, here's what's going to happen, fellas. I've been called to send you to Joppa. You're looking for Simon, also known as Peter. You're going to Simon the Tanner's house, and he lives by the sea. Everybody got it? Very, very clear instructions. And so having related everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. So here's what happened. Cornelius, who again, now this guy's a soldier. He's used to giving commands. And you know what he does? He gets a command from the Lord, and he simply obeys. How much pushback does Cornelius give to this? None. He requires almost no explanation. There's no, yeah, but God, but what about, and why, and what if, what if, what if they don't make it to Joppa? Or what if they get to Joppa, what if they get to Joppa and they can't find Simon the Tanner? Or what if Simon Peter's not there anymore? Or what about, and what if, and what about... No, no, no. You see, obedience is just about obeying whether you understand all the details or not. Even if you don't understand the why behind the what, obedience means that you just do it anyway. Um, how, many of you have, how many of you have kids? Got kids? Raise your hand. I know you do. You're, you're an active bunch, okay, because we're full in New Gen every week, so way to go. Praise God. Uh, how many of you made a promise that you would never turn into your parents? Anybody ever promise that one? All right. Oh. With some enthusiasm, I see some hands in the air. 
And regretfully, how many of you have been filled with the spirit of your mom and dad that you promised you would never be like? Okay, I am a mustache away from Perry Martin. You understand? <laughs> I can remember vividly one of, one of the most frustrating things in my house growing up is when my dad would tell me to do something, Joby, make your bed. And I'd be like, why, am I, why do I have to make my bed? I'm just going to lay back down in it tonight, okay? I don't understand. I need some empirical evidence or a study. I need you to explain to me why I should listen to you in this case. And my dad, just like every dad who's ever lived in daddom, would say, because I said so. Do you remember hearing that as a kid? And you think, well, that's just poor parenting, Okay. <laughs> You see, when I grow up and I have kids of my own, what I'm going to do is I'm going to build such a relationship with my children that I will will, uh, explain to them and I will nurture them and I will get down eyeball to eyeball with them so that they understand not just the, the what I want them to do, but the why. And then what happened? I had children and my dad became a genius. That happened to you too? Right? When you were 16, you were like, my parents know nothing. And then you're 36 and you've got kids and you're like, wow, they're so brilliant. What happened? And then what I find myself doing on a weekly basis now is looking at my kids and going, brush your teeth because I said so. And it seems to make so much more sense now on this side of the relationship. Because you know what? Quite honestly, that was a great answer. You know what the point is? The point of that is, you know what, kid? Uh, I, I just need you to trust me on some stuff. I might not have time always to fully explain everything that, that's behind what I'm commanding you to do, all right? We don't have a, I don't have time to do a lesson on dental hygiene right now every day before school, but if you want people to look at you when you talk to them, you're going to have to brush your teeth because I said so, all right? And then hopefully over time, the because I said so, you go, you know what? I think I can trust mom and dad. I think they actually might have a greater perspective on this thing called life than I do. And I think they actually might want something for me and not just from me. So I might need to just trust them because they said so. Look, that's the first step of obedience. That you would trust God enough that you would follow him simply because he said so. And that we would just trust. We would just trust he's got a greater perspective. He's still got the whole world in his hands, that he knows you better than you you know yourself, that he has the eternal perspective, and he loves you. He's He's not just trying to squash your good time. He actually knows that obedience leads to freedom. That's where that path leads. And rebellion, it leads to bondage. See, here's the point. The bottom line of this passage for me, just these eight verses as Cornelius steps out in obedience is this is that true obedience is rooted in trust, and trust is built in relationship. That true obedience is rooted in trust. Do you know who you have an easy time obeying? You have an easy time obeying somebody that you trust. Even if you don't understand the command, even if you don't understand exactly why they're asking you to do something, you trust them, and it's really rooted in that trust that you're able to step out in obedience. And you know how you build trust with somebody? You build trust through that relationship. And so... What are some of the things that God commands us to do as a church or as Christians? I know whenever we talk about commandments, everybody automatically goes Old Testament and goes to the Ten Commandments. I want to spend a little bit of time this morning on some New Testament commandments um, because Jesus said that he came as the fulfillment of the law or fulfillment of the commandments. 
And, and one of the things that we're tempted to do here is to look at somebody like Cornelius and go, well, God, if you would show up to me in a dream, or if you would show up to me as an angel and call out my name, Joby, what's up? Here's what I need you to do this week. Okay, I've got my pen and paper. Shoot, right? A lot of us think, if you would just speak to me that clearly, then obviously I would obey. So these guys in the Bible, they kind of have an unfair advantage. So speak to me clearly, God, and I'll do what you say. To which God says, well, you know what? You've got a, you've got a far superior advantage over Cornelius. First and foremost, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. If you're a, if you're a follower or a, or a disciple of Jesus Christ... And secondly, you have the Bible. Do you know what a blessing it is to live where we live and when we live? That we, as a generation, have easier access to the Bible more so than any other generation in all of human history. I mean, you can download it on your phone or your iPad or online, or we put the Bible verses on the screen. You don't even have to do anything but keep your eyes open, and you get the commands of God straight to you every week. Um, there are people that are literally giving their lives right now in, in closed cr- countries just for a copy, just for a page or two of the Scriptures. You know what you have to do to get access to the Word of God? Just reach your hand out like this, grab that free one in front of you, and then pull that thing back in switch it around like a football, and then tote it home. And you've got the commands of God forever and ever, amen, right here. That even better, Cornelius got, got one command straight to him. We get God's holy, inspired word to you. And all you have to do is open the book and start reading. And so, one of the things that, um, I, I get this question all the time, what's God's will for my life? Uh, God's will probably has more to do with who you are than what you need to do. And you want to know what God's will for your life is, you better read the book. You need to read the book. And I, I bet if you get more committed, if you and I are more about just doing God's general will for all Christians, then maybe we will prove ourselves trustworthy enough for God to give us some specific about this is where you should go to college or this is the neighborhood you need to live in, okay? So when we have a hard time just, just even, even receiving his commands from what he's given us in his word, then it's gonna be hard for him to give us like the specifics on our life. So what are some of those commands in his word? Jesus in Matthew chapter six, so you can back up to Matthew chapter six. In Jesus' longest recorded sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, what I wanna do now is I wanna, for obedience sake, I wanna take us back to like the fundamentals of the faith. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus commands to do three things and we are gonna call our church to do these three things. Um, I, I don't know how or where you are of this. If you grew up Catholic or Lutheran or Episcopalian, then you know that this Wednesday's Ash Wednesday. All right, and so uh, it begins this season of Lent. And what Lent is, Lent is a 40-day preparation season so that on Resurrection Sunday, we can all gather together in this place and celebrate the resurrected Jesus Christ. And so over this 40-day period, we as a church join with Christians all over the world and um, join with the, the faithful men and women who have gone before us and we, we enter into this season of preparation. And what, what, what I love about Lent, it's, it's really a call back to like the fundamentals of the faith. And you find these, these three fundamentals in, in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. So first and foremost, for Lent, we are gonna call our church to pray. We're gonna call our church to pray. In Matthew chapter six, 
Jesus says this. I'm going to start in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward in full. In other words, people would stand up in front of everybody and pray these beautiful prayers. You ever get asked to pray in a group of people and you think, man, I'm not good at praying. Well, if you think that, then it's because you don't have a good understanding of what prayer is. Prayer is not impressing people with your theological terms in your disciple group, all right? And I know what some of you people are thinking, well, I can't pray out loud. The biggest word I know is delicatessen. I don't know how to work it into my prayer life, okay? (laughs) Jesus is saying that's no problem. Here's what prayer is, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is prayer supposed to be personal, and it's private. It's between you and the Lord. Well, what do you pray about? He tells you what not to pray about. Verse 7, he says, And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then he says, pray like this, and he gives us the Lord's Prayer. He doesn't say pray this. He says pray like this, and he starts it out with our Father. And I'm going to tell you, when first century Orthodox Jews heard that we're supposed to pray our Father, they went, whoa, 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 no, we're not. Sovereign Lord. That's what we're supposed to pray, okay? Distant creator and judge. And Jesus is going, no, it's more personal than that. You see, God wants us to know him as heavenly Father. And then what do you do? How do you pray? Here's how you pray. You start out, our Father, and then you just talk to God. I mean, you just communicate to God. You have an audience with the almighty sovereign God. So you talk about whatever you need to talk about. I would encourage you to throw a little praise in there. Tell God how awesome he is, okay? Because he is. He deserves our glory. Hallowed be your name. That's how you started off, all right? And I know you don't know what that means, so don't pray that. Pray what you know means. God, you're amazing and you're awesome. And then, and then typically what happens in my world, when I do that, I, I shift into a little gratitude. Start telling God just how thankful I am for for his many blessings, particularly the cross. First and foremost, the cross. And then just some of the other blessings in his life, in in your life. And and should you ask for stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Do your kids ask you for stuff? And you know what kind of good God we serve? You know, in the New Testament, he says, he says, don't stop asking. Keep on asking. None of you have ever told your kids that. You did, but it sounded more like this. Ask me again. That's different. God's just saying, come on, ask me again. Come on, keep bringing it. Keep bringing it. And that's what you do. One of the specific things I would like you to do is that you would just pray for one person that's far from God and that God might use our church or he might use you during this Lent season that maybe on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, this person that you are petitioning God for, maybe God would save him on that day. And so that's what we do. We get together and, and you pray. And then, now here's the new part that, that a lot of us don't do. And then you listen. Then you listen. You, you say everything that you, you're led to say. and You talk to God like you know him because you do if you've surrendered your life to Jesus. And then you listen. And let me tell you, at first, when you listen to God, if you're new to this, God's going to sound like the air conditioning running. That's what he's going to sound like. And you're going to go, Huh? Right? So if you need a cheat sheet, then you just kind of pick up his word because I know he spoke this. But over time, as you get to know him, the Bible says that you'll recognize his voice. And you have an audience with the almighty sovereign God. 
Seems kind of silly that we would do all the talking, doesn't it? Um, I, I've got a family member of mine that calls me, and he'll call and say, I need some advice. And then he just doesn't stop talking. Right? In fact, my wife knows if I've been on the phone with him, because she says, oh, you're talking to that family member, right? Because, and I'm like, how do you know? She said, because the phone's been in your ear for like 20 minutes, and you haven't said a word. <laughs> in fact, sometimes I put the phone down, go to the bathroom, Come back, pick it up. We're still rocking and rolling, baby, all right? So, and typically by the time the conversation's over, there's no time for any input from me. Not that I know everything, but, but so many times we do all the talking and none of the listening. All right, it's just silly if you're sitting in the room with somebody that can speak into your life. It's just downright idiotic when you have the, the almighty maker of heaven and earth and we do all the talking and none of the listening. And so here's what we're going to do. We are going to call our church to a season of prayer where we just seek the face and the heart of God, where we seek the manifest presence of God. And we're trusting that the Holy Spirit lives in you just like he lives in me, and God still speaks to his children. And so every Tuesday, not this next Tuesday, what, this upcoming Tuesday, what's that called? That's called Fat Tuesday, all right? 1122 probably knows that one, all right? So do you think on Fat Tuesday, but on the following Tuesday... Right here, from 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock, we're going to have prayer meeting. We're just going to come in here, and you're going to talk to your Heavenly Father, and He is going to be listening, and then we are going to shut up, and we are going to listen, and we are going to seek the presence of God. And it says, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So I'm telling you, you come to the prayer meetings or you dedicate yourself, you be obedient to Jesus' command to pray over this 40-day season of Lent, and there is a reward for you. And some of you spiritual people, I don't need a reward. Well, you get it anyway. Isn't that great? Even if you're not trying to get the reward when you do this, when you pray like Jesus says pray, there's a reward. Now, warning, it, it might not be cash and prizes. Okay, we'll circle around to the reward in just a second. Secondly, Jesus commands us to fast. He says, verse 17, But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So we are calling our church to fast. A fast just means to go without and take that time, effort, money, attention, and put that towards Jesus. So every Tuesday during Lent, the Church of 1122, if you're medically able, we're going to fast from food from sunup to sundown on Tuesdays. And then in addition to that, we're calling everybody in our church to fast from something for the entire 40 days. Like, so there's folks on our staff and they're fasting from social media or television or alcohol or caffeine. That's a treat the first four days. Let me suggest that one. That one's awesome. Whatever it is. Now, Let's talk about obedience for a second, because because uh, I came up Southern Baptist, so we didn't fast from anything. All right, we ate gravy on everything but ice cream. You know what I'm saying? So, and uh, really, what Southern Baptists fast from is they they fast from beer and uh, secular music always and dancing. All right, so that's just a always fast on that. And then I don't know what we did with these passages. We just skipped by them. And so, really, in the last four years, when 11:22 started, I was like, look, the Bible says fast, so we need to fast. And, and, and I've had these questions just even in my own heart, and I've heard them too. So how in the world does not eating on a Tuesday do anything with my relationship with the Lord? Well, maybe that's why you need to step out in obedience. Like, it, that's kind of the point, because he said so. Now, now, I can help you out just a little bit, maybe, 
by denying yourself something that you need, it will cause you to lean into the one that richly provides everything that you need. And maybe it will reveal to you how dependent upon the temporary things of this world we have become instead of being dependent on the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ. Maybe it would shine a light in an area of your life that's got its hooks into you and help you remember that his grace is enough for me. And so I dare you to fast, to fast from fruit on Tuesday. And guess what? Guess what just happened? You don't even know it just happened, but, but it just happened. I just freed up your lunch hour every Tuesday for all of Lent and just so happens that we have a prayer meeting right here on Tuesdays from 12 to 1. See how the Lord works? Isn't he amazing? All right. And the reason we moved it from Monday to Tuesday is because we have a staff lunch on Tuesday. And so I know all of my staff's calendar from 12 to 1 on Tuesdays. And so now uh, our staff lunch, we're going to fast from and we're going to be in here praying. And, I need, and you need to join us. And Jesus says, and there will be a reward. And then in addition to that, you need to give up something for that 40 days. Now, let me tell you what the Spirit's doing in you right now. Let me tell you what you need to give up. Here's what you need to fast. You need to fast from that thing that immediately came to mind, and then you started to rationalize out why you don't need to fast from that. That's it, because God doesn't argue. That's how that works. Okay, so that's the thing. So you can't just pick things like, I'm fasting from Brussels sprouts and mean people. That's what I'm fasting from. And so if I meet somebody that gets on my nerves, they're like, I'm sorry, in the name of Jesus, I have to leave you. So not that. So here's how it works for me. Uh, somebody mentioned television, because uh, on staff, you know, we kind of check on each other. What's everybody doing, all right? And so uh, somebody mentioned television. I was like, yeah, yeah, I spend too much time watching TV, and, and, and there's, you know, I could spend that time doing all kinds of stuff that glorified God. And then I thought, oh, wait a minute, that's March Madness. So obviously that's not God's will, because God wills that I would watch the VCU Rams go to the Final Four again. So, and I began to rationalize out why I need to watch television, because I've got to keep up with basketball, which means what? I need to fast from that. So every time I'm reminded, or when I start trying to justify it and be like, this isn't my television, this is my phone, and I have Watch ESPN app. That's not TV, that's an app. All right, you start finding yourself doing that. If you're going to do it, just don't play. Just don't play. Now, we're not trying to be legalists here. It's between you and Jesus, all right? But um, you do that, and you'll get your reward. But you fast in secret, and God who sees what's in secret will reward you. You know what it also means? It means I don't want to see a Facebook uh, update that's like, I am fasting, and I am so starving and more spiritual than all you Baptists. <laughs> like, no, no. This is just between you and God to deny yourself something of this world just so you go, you know what? Um, I, I just want God to shine a light on how dependent I have become on the temporary things of this world. So it ought to sting a little. It ought to sting a little and be a reminder that you should draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. And so we're going to fast every, we're going to fast every Tuesday. And then Jesus says, give, give. So we're going to pray and we're going to fast and we're going to give. And quite honestly, I almost left this one out this year because I didn't want the perception to be, uh-oh, the church is in trouble because the preacher's talking about giving. In fact, you guys have been incredibly generous incredibly generous. You know that as a church, we tithe? Because we, we try to run our church finances like every family should. And so we say, hey, you need to tithe. And so as a church, we tithe. We had a meeting this week where we literally sat down and go, well, what are we going to do with this money? Who should we give this money to? 
you know God desires you to have the same kind of meetings with your husband or wife? You realize that? And so it's not like there's this great need. So we're like, oh, I know, we'll, we'll throw in a, a give push. It's not that. But the reason I'm including it is because it's obedience. I mean, if you just look in the Sermon on the Mount, it's pray, fast, and give. And so Jesus says, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So if you're a Christian, I, you need to give. You need to pick a percentage. If you're not a generous giver, you need to pick a percentage, whatever it is. That's between you and Jesus, okay? And you need to do it regularly, and you need to do it first. Not wait till the end and see what you have left, but before we ever get started, you go, okay, for this season, for Lent. In fact, your finances are the only area in all of Scripture where God says, try me on this one. So try him for 40 days and see if being generous with your finances, see if there's a reward. Now, if you want to know what percentage, uh, the Bible talks about 10%. And if you say, yeah, but that's the Old Testament law. Okay, you can go New Testament. New Testament is they sold everything and brought it to the church. <laughs> so if that's you, then we, I, I need to meet you after the service. We've got some paperwork for you to fill out because we don't want to hinder you from being obedient to God. Okay, so that's fine. Now, if this isn't your church, if you just started coming here and you don't know me or trust me, remember, I, I think that true obedience is rooted in trust. If, if you don't trust me, that's fine. Give to an organization that you trust. And I would even say, even if you're not a Christian, what, you should just be generous during this season as we lead up to Easter. Just, just find some organization that you trust and give to it. So you don't have to give here. You, you give wherever the Lord leads, and you just go with whatever he leads you to give. But let me tell you what's going to happen. If you are obedient and you step out and you give, what's going what's to begin to happen is it is going to reveal to you that you thought you had a hold of your finances, and in actuality, they have a hold of you. You see, in this same passage where Jesus talks about, talks about giving, in this same passage, he also says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, and he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You see, I'm praying that during this season of Lent that God reveals to many of you that you are chasing after the shiny things of this world and that you have made your career or the stuff that you want to buy or your comfort or your security, you've actually made that your idol. And what God wants to do by, by you praying and fasting and giving generously, is he wants to just peel the fingers off of actually what's got a hold of you. And so I promise you, I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. What's real interesting about Jesus talking about money here, right after this in the Sermon on the Mount, he goes this way. He says, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, or what you will wear. That right after Jesus talks about giving generously, he talks about anxiety. And I'm going to tell you, there's some worried people in this room. Some of you are filled with anxiety. Some of you are anxious about everything, about every paycheck and how you're going to pay your bills. And, and some of you have, have so much stuff, you don't know what to do with it all, and you're still caught up with worry. You know what the opposite of anxiety is? It's not calmness. It's not even peace. It's trust. Trust. The opposite of anxiety is trust. And when you're anxious about the things of this world, essentially it's because you don't trust God. You really aren't sure if he's going to come through for you or not. It, the same thing is true if you get anxious about a relationship with a person. It's because you don't trust that they're going to do what you need them to do. 
Can I tell you about some of the least anxious times I've ever had in my life? Almost every Saturday of my life growing up, me and my daddy and my little brother would go fishing. We would get in the 1976 blue uh, Chevy pickup truck, pull into John boat that my dad and granddad made by hand, and we would go to the little PD River and catch brim uh, with crickets on a cane pole. And riding that, that 20 miles from Dillon to the little PD, I had no worry in the world. You know why? Because my dad was driving. He had everything under control. I never once was sitting there going, hmm, I wonder if we got all the, all the fishing tackle, which for us was just a little cork and a hook. I mean, we weren't real sophisticated in our fishing. I never once thought, um, uh, I wonder if the fish are biting. Do we, do, I wonder if we got enough gas in the truck. I wonder if we got our fishing licenses. Do we have all of our tackle? Do we, none of that. I never worried about any of that. You know why? Because I knew my dad had it under control. And some of you are filled to the brim with worry. And you know what Jesus wants for you during this season that we're calling our church to? He wants you to be obedient, to pray, fast, and give. And in all three of those, he says there's a reward. There's a reward. There's a reward for prayer. There's a reward for fasting. And there's a reward for giving. And you know what the reward isn't? It's not more cash and prizes. Because you might get all of those things that you asked for. And you've been down that road before and it just doesn't. It just doesn't satisfy. You know what the reward is? Is you get him. You get that deeper, abiding relationship with God. And the answer to your problems is not more money. It's not more friends. It's not a better work situation. The answer to all of our problems is the cross of Jesus Christ. And that is the, that is the way that we know him. That he demonstrated his love for us in this. That while we were yet still sinners, that Christ died for us. And it's an invitation into a relationship with him. And so check this out. We said that, that, that true obedience is really rooted in trust, and trust is built in relationship. And so I want you to go on this journey where we are obedient to pray and to fast and to give. And you know what happens? You get a reward, and the reward is him. Here's how it works. So when you're obedient, okay, you don't even under, fully understand prayer. Why am I telling God stuff that he already knows? Just trust him. And you don't understand fasting. How in the world is skipping lunch on a Tuesday have anything to do with my relationship with God? You just trust him. Just step out in obedience. And, and what about giving? I don't know if I trust God with my money. Okay, just trust him and watch what happens. What Jesus says is going to happen is you're rewarded, and the reward is him. And so when you step out in obedience and pray and fast and give, what begins to happen is your relationship with God begins to deepen and deepen, and it builds that relationship. And as that relationship is built, then you, you begin to develop more trust in him. You go, wow, God is trustworthy. His word is true. God is coming through for me. And the more trustworthy you find God to be, then the more you're able to obey, and the more you obey, the deeper your relationship with God, and it builds more trust. And do you see what begins to happen? You begin to get this snowball effect in your relationship with God and God may have felt a million miles away but there are promises in his word like the rewards here there are promises like James says draw near to me and I will draw near to you and we're not doing it so that we can become close to God we're doing it out of a response to Jesus hanging on the cross and paving that way inviting us into that deeper and deeper and deeper relationship with him and then our relationship grows and our trust begins to build and it makes it easier to be obedient and it's that obedience that leads to freedom. It's what Jesus was talking about when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest for your soul. 
You want rest for your soul? You ain't going to find it at the spa. Not when you get that bill. You know where you find it? You find it in this reckless obedience, which leads to that relationship, so it builds that trust, which makes it easier to obey, and that puts you on a path to freedom, because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, folks. And you know what that feels like? It feels like a seven-year-old in a 76 Chevy pickup on his way to go brim fishing with his daddy. And when you get a little worried, you just look over and be like, no, dad's got the whole thing under control. And so for these next 40 days, the church of 1122 is going to throttle down in obedience, trusting God's reward of freedom and that relationship with our heavenly father. And I hope and pray you'll join us. Would you stand and pray with me? Oh, good and gracious heavenly father, oh, that we can call you dad. God, thank you that Jesus taught us 189 times in the four gospels to call you heavenly father. God, we know it's true that you're judge and you're almighty and you're sovereign and you're just. And God, those things are true, but you are love. And God, you want us to know you as dad. And so Lord, I pray for the man, the woman, the student in this place, God, and they are full of anxiety. Lord, I pray that in the depths of their soul, this very moment, you would reveal to them it's because they're not trusting you. And God, we just can't grit our teeth and just produce trust. So Lord, would you give us the wisdom and the courage to step out in obedience and to pray and to fast and to give, knowing that that's gonna deepen our relationship with you, knowing that that's gonna be the thing that builds the trust. God, that paves the way for us to walk in obedience that leads to freedom. God, I pray against the spirit of legalism over the season of Lent. Lord, would you just deal with your children the way you need to deal with them? There's no prescribed way to do this. But God, where the spirit of the Lord is, there would be freedom. And Jesus, may you give us rest for our souls as we prepare to celebrate Resurrection Sunday. We pray this in the good, strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hey, now it's time to respond. We respond by bringing our tithes and offerings to the boxes around the worship center or the kiosk right back here. Uh, we respond in prayer. And so the altars are always open. There's staff and elders and deacons that are available to pray with you if you need that. And then we respond by singing together. And the first line of this song that we're going to respond is, is where the, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Let us respond.